Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. They come running out and they're like, Dude, it's fucking swaggy. We love your shit. And I'm like, where do you live? North Dakota. I'm like, so have you been to our spots? No. Have you bought anything? No, but we fucking love it. And that right there was fucking marketing. It's a serious thing. And that is the biggest thing that chefs should fucking take from this is that it doesn't mean you're less of a chef if you do more. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. If you're listening to this podcast, it's for the same reason that I created it. To scale your restaurant and improve your life. Let's do it together. I'm launching a nine-week case study, and I'm looking for five restaurant owners with only one focus. Massively scaling profit. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com to apply today. Again, go to restaurantcasestudy.com to apply today. What does the restaurant of the future look like? Well, if we figured anything out in our time together, it's that it can look like many different things. And I think Chef Steve Brown has stumbled upon a really interesting business model for us. He's evolved the pop-up model into a restaurant incubator, creating massive demand and awareness for his brands. In our conversation today, we unpack what went into conceptualizing and executing this restaurant ecosystem and how he's managed to leverage his unique personal brand to bring it to the masses. My wife, she plays a huge role. We don't work together, but we work together. You know what I mean? And it can be toxic as hell at times but it works that's literally how our relationship started it's like we started dating i was like hey you want to shoot my food and she's like sure i'll do it and it's just the way it all started was so organic and she even changed her style based on my style because she used to be like shooting weddings and colorful happy things i'm like no my food's fucking dark you know what i mean i'm like you need (laughs) and she's like well i don't shoot that way i'm like well figure it out you know what i mean and I was like, no, that looks like a catering brochure or, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, and so we grew together and then she helps me constantly too. She has a different eye to soften me up because I could be so, you know, you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you need to, okay. I want to do a bone marrow. That's like pouring out foie gras, like wax and all this stuff. And she'll constantly be like, okay, you need to soften that up a little bit. So there is this, like, we don't think about it that way because we're just in the grind but we complement each other just like in a crazy way. And obviously I'm this ridiculous personality, but I have to be, that's my brand. I'm this like in your face guy and some people love me and some people hate me. And that's just been our style since day one, but it's still organic. It's not like contrived. And she supports that. I don't know. I really have never even (laughs) thought about it, you know? And the funny thing is too, like right now she's like pregnant as hell. 
and all my food on Instagram, like as of lately, because of all the restaurants I have. I mean, I'm more of a photographer now than any time. I get on the street all day. She's like, everyone says, oh my God, your photography is so amazing and all this, all this stuff. And, and she's like, I haven't taken a fucking picture in six months. She's like, so she's getting all that. You know what I mean? It's because like, they just automatically think you know, all of my pictures and everything are from her. But it's, we still like created a look together and a vibe. And, and this has been going on for like five years when we started out just doing our pop-ups and all this stuff and everything in print she's like our graphic designer and she shoots the photography but she does it in my brand do you get what i mean because if she was going to do her own thing on her own it would never look all dark and ominous and evil asshole-ish you know i don't don't know but yeah i didn't expect to to talk about her that's a good one (laughs) well i'll Um, tell you why it's because i think you're really dangerous to your competitors because for everyone else Marketing is an afterthought and their brand is a logo and you've got a great logo, but your logo isn't your brand, right? It's your color palette. It's your voice. It's your verbiage. It's the aesthetics of your photography and you're all over social. And when you're making food and when you're building businesses, you're thinking in real time, like, how am I going to market this? How am I going to position it in the market? Whereas everyone else, most chefs you talk to are like, fuck photography, like I'm here to cook food. But that's not the business of hospitality, right? And you're in the business of hospitality. You couldn't nail on the head any better. Everyone's like, oh my God, your food's so amazing. I'm like, I'm a good cook. I'm a way better marketer. I would have never said that until now. I mean, until most recently or whatever. And it's, but where that came from was just pure survival. I built a two and a half million dollar restaurant in West Hollywood with partners, you know, the old fucking story where you spend more money than you fucking have. It's not the chef's money. It's the investor's money. And opening day comes, oh, we have no money, but you're going to make 50 grand a day, right? We'll be okay. And I'm like, oh my God. Right. And so (laughs) literally the restaurant closed in four months after we took two years to build it. I'm not going to drag that part out, but that's where it all started because I mean, I'm 35 years old. my, My parents are like, move back to San Diego, just reset. And I was like fucking 35 years old moving into my mom and dad's house in San Diego. A couple months of depression. I'm like, fuck fine dining. I'm never doing this shit again. And then what happened was two months of reflecting. I told myself I was going to go be a personal trainer. (laughs) And I was going to the gym every day. I was like, I'm going to be a personal trainer. My parents were like, oh God, this guy's really falling off the deep end. You know, I'm like anything but being in a restaurant at that moment. And then a couple months went by. It started to come back and I'm like, Okay. The fine dining bug, of course, started coming back because I fucking love it, whether I hate it or not. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do one pop-up. I said, I'll sell one pop-up here in San Diego just for the fucking friends and family that feel sorry for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At least I'll sell one out. And Eater San Diego got word of it and was like, oh, and this was six years ago when there wasn't a lot of fine dining in San Diego. San Diego's food scene has gone way up in that time, like way up. And so I did the one pop-up. They got word that it was going to happen. They're like, oh, we're going to write about LA. You know, of course, they just need something to write about. LA chef comes home to San Diego and first pop-up. And it was a normal pop-up or a tasty menu, like seven courses. And it was like 75 bucks, like free, basically, you know, and it sold out. I'm like, fuck, yeah, we're doing this. And I just started, but make the long story short on that, I did that for like five years before the pandemic hit. And that was the grind. And now I'm getting to your point is that 
to sell pop-up tickets is one of the hardest thing in the world to do because you're like, I'm the only employee. Right. I, I don't have a staff. I have part-time people because we do dinners once every two weeks or whatever. And then so I'm like, okay, I had to force myself how to use ads on Facebook, Instagram, hashtags, all of this stuff. And for me, I wasn't even thinking about it as marketing. I was thinking about it as survival, selling a fucking seat. And then you have dinners that are like half sold out and you're like, oh God, what am I going to do? Do I cancel or do I go through with it? All of this stuff that really was felt like pure torture at the time was really just making me so strong and so adaptable and ready to pivot at any moment. And so in between, I, I opened a restaurant in San Francisco, Niku Steakhouse that just got a Michelin star like two weeks ago. We opened it like three years ago, which is amazing to see that come through, even though I'm not part of it anymore. And then I still came. I was like, oh, I got to come back because Jamie was pregnant. And we literally had the baby up down here while I was up there. Like, and she's pregnant right now. She's like, do that shit to me again. <laughs> we're done. You know? and, and we're about to open in Hawaii right now. She's like, I swear to God, you're not opening that shit until after the baby. I said, I know, I know, I know. And my partner out there is like, I was like, you want me divorced? Because then all this, everything will fall apart. So anyway, <laughs> but going back to all that, it was forced to learn how to market and create right. a brand with no help and no money zero money to do that. I'm sure you've done a pop-up or two. There's no real money in it. It's Again, it's branding because you're trying to find something at the end of the road. So right after we did our second pop-up, I went into this Kaboo culinary competition. Kaboo is like um, Coachella, but at the Del Mar racetrack in San Diego. It's like a fancy Coachella kind of three days, 20 stages, and then a culinary stage. They asked me to be in this culinary battle. Long story on that, I ended up winning the whole thing. And in the final, the secret ingredient was Japanese Wagyu. And I'd only used it once or twice, you know, at New Year's Eve menu kind of stuff. And so I ended up winning the whole thing. And of course, the person that was, it's in that competition because they're sponsoring it, right? And then so the sponsor, of course, wants to meet the person that wins. And so I did. And of course, I'm on cloud nine at backstage with Errol Smith. And I'm with the Japanese Wagyu guys. They're like, you want to still cook with Wagyu? Are you interested? I'm like, fuck it, let's change my pop-up to all Wagyu, like nine courses of Wagyu. How, what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, you fucking crazy white boy. Oh, they're just thinking dollar signs. They're, they're like, sure, let's fucking do it. Because the main reason of doing that kind of thing is to get, at the time, six years ago, no one still knew what Wagyu was, you know, and they barely do now still, but it's exploding right now. And so that was the whole point. So I was just their pop-up guy for years, but I've chosen to be taken to Japan and all of this stuff by the Japanese government, toured around and all this stuff. And when they did that, that changed my life. I was like, oh shit, I'm all in now. And that was their point of doing it, but that didn't work on everyone, but it worked on me. So I started doing the pop-ups on Wagyu. And then I was like, okay, San Diego doesn't even have real, real fine dining except the ones that have been here for 40 years. And no one knows what Wagyu is. And I can only charge $120 for a nine course Wagyu dinner. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm not even making any money. I'm just trying to, again, brand it. And then so... I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this shit on tour like a band. Because just like name Jay-Z's can't have a fucking concert in the same city every day. Can't. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's a special thing. And that's what a Wagyu tasting menu is. And especially at that time, it's like a very unique thing. You're going to flood the market. So we started taking it on tour. I came up with that idea. And I'm like, and now I learned how to Facebook market. I'd never even been to Nebraska. And then you like, create a little flyer and then you target the people and the demographics and keywords. And I taught myself how to do it. No one had ever taught me how to do it. That's so I'm not now I'm selling out cities all over America that I've never even stepped foot in 
you take over someone else's restaurant for like a day or two and make it your own. So my website was really my storefront. It was just like a band where it'd say every city that it was in, you click on the city, shows you the location, you buy tickets right on my website. And I literally did that for five years. And then now to fast forward, we'd been every province in Canada, all over the States, many, many different States. And then we were going back to Canada to hit everywhere again. And then the summer of 2020 is supposed to be like 12 countries in Europe. Sold out already. Stockholm, like Germany, like, and that's where I started as a dishwasher when I was 18 in Germany. So I was like, we got to end there. That'll be like my full circle 20 years later thing on my 40th birthday. Literally, it was going to be this cool thing. Fucking COVID happened, you know, slaughtered it all. And, And literally the restaurant we're in right now, that night that they announced that Sunday before March, so March 15th and then 16th, everything shut down the Monday, we were doing one of our pop ups at this restaurant. And I came out and I'm like, guys, I just got a notified on my phone. This is literally the last supper. I tell like 50 people at this big dinner and everyone's like, wait, what, what, what? And I was like, so let's have a fucking blast. And then the next day I actually went back in the kitchen. I was like, uh, cause they all have regular jobs, my cooks, but they've been with me for years. They just right. take the time off ahead of time, whatever. And I was like, none of you guys have a job tomorrow. I said, fuck it. Let's start an Uber eats thing tomorrow. Uh, we'll do burgers and fried chicken sandwiches or whatever and not fancy but our nitro potato that's like our signature crazy potato that we back in the day used to do it with liquid nitrogen we don't need more because we've reverse engineered it but we still call it nitro potato for to, a nod to that chef marcel vigoron actually taught me that like 10 years ago anyway because we had a prep kitchen for our pop-ups so i was like took two because you have to prep all the ingredients we take it with us because when you land to a location you don't fucking have time to prep there you know right that takes hotel days and it all costs money and stuff like that so we try this thing and my wife is running the orders out because it's in one of these like kitchens where there's a big warehouse there's a bunch of kitchens and and i'm like cool i'll pay you guys each 100 bucks cash i mean what else you're gonna get unemployment still like everyone was doing right i was like Okay, we sold two hundred dollars today, and there's one, two, three of you. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, uh, that's bad math. <laughs> that's fucking terrible math. <laughs> it's like a really real startup in COVID. It probably would have ended up working at some point, or whatever, maybe not. But and then my buddy that I opened Niku Steakhouse with, uh, Guy Crims, he's the master butcher up there in the butcher shop, and he's a partner of the whole thing. He's like, calls me, he's like, hey, dude. How much Wagyu are you sitting on? I was like, I don't know, like 10,000. That's not much in Wagyu. He's like, dude, you're not doing a dinner for at least six months. Just get liquid. Everyone on your Instagram, which was like at the time, like 12,000 or whatever. He's like, they all follow you because of your Wagyu tours and stuff like this. He's like, make some dinner kits or whatever. Like everyone started to do at the beginning a little bit, yeah. you know? And I was like, all right, cool. Made a couple dinner kits. And then I was like, no, I'm going to just cut steaks too, like Wagyu steaks and vacuum pack them, take pictures, put it on my Instagram. Boom. 24 hours, three times my inventory, 30 grand in 24 hours. This is on PayPal, Venmo, fucking mailing me a check, like everything you could possibly think of. And I'm just like, holy shit, we have something. Calling my web designer, fucking flip the website from selling dinner tickets to selling steaks. Here they are. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the pictures. Here's the prices. And my wife is taking Venmo to Facebook to Instagram. No one has the real names on that shit. So we're trying to match it up to create create a spreadsheet. Our kitchen was in the ghetto, like by the trolley station, by the border of Tijuana. And we had had Tuesdays and Thursdays were pickups. And then we'd have lines of cars just coming to pick up. 
fucking Bentleys, Ferraris, like in the hood. And they're like, are we in the right space? We got a little quick $50 banner made that we like zip tied to the fence, you know, so they knew where, where they were in the right place. And then dining started to come back again in like June a little bit because we built a dining room like this one we're in right now. That's just a, a long table. Uh, it's our swaggy study hall above the kitchen in like the attic of this warehouse. Right. And we were doing, I was like, we're going to do dinners. And because of COVID, I was renting a passenger van and it would, we'd only book whole parties. So there wasn't intermingling of people. We'll pick them up. And then it'd be me driving to someone's house, picking 16 people up in a passenger van, driving them to the dinner, doing the dinner and then driving them home. And they never would expect, they're like, wait, that's the chef. They would just think I'm a driver halfway through. And they're like, that's the chef. And I'm like, got to do what I got to do. I'm like texting while I'm driving. Okay, we're four minutes out. We had a whole deal like planned out and it was beautiful. But you had to walk upstairs. So we had to run every course on trays upstairs. And then we'd plate it all in the room right in front of them. Oh my God, my guys lost like 20 pounds, every one of them. <laughs> and it was an amazing, like real speakeasy kind of thing. But it was what we always did. And that's what sprung Swaggy Study Hall, which is this place now. And so the crazy part, so I was like, okay, guys, look, we need this kitchen for a study hall now. And so it can't be the butcher shop anymore. I said, I'm going to go find a brick and mortar, shitty old broke down taco shop closest to my house as fucking possible so I could drive my golf cart to it. And if it doesn't fucking work, then who gives a fuck, right? And I brought my wife. I brought my father-in-law, my mom, my dad, my executive chef, Nate all the, you know, my top guys to see it. And they're like, uh, chef, we don't see it, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because it was not a nice place at all. And in like the liquor store next door was literally where they do crack dance, You know what I mean? And I'm like, no, you guys don't understand. I said, I see it. I'm going to clean this place up. I know my sales online. Those alone will pay for this like $2,000 rent. That was the key. Mm -hmm. You put this in La Jolla, it's going to be $20,000 a month and it would fail fucking week one. Or month one when you had to pay rent. And so I was like, no, it's going to work, dude. I already know. Like, you can't tell me that all these people that are lined up, if now they can go and actually see the stakes and pick them out and talk to me face to face, of course we're going to sell more, double our money. And sure enough, boom, explodes. We have people driving from Northern California, from Vegas, from Phoenix, Arizona, just driving all the way down, pick up stakes that I would personally sell to them. And I'd run them through the whole deal because... I'm like an expert on the shit. So it's not just like some, and I'm a chef and all my guys were chefs. So we would explain to them in a chef's way, not a butcher's way. I love butchers, but you get what I mean. They're not chefs, you know? So right. we could literally say, this is exact. And we're Wagyu chefs. So I'm like, this is exactly how you cook this piece at home. Blah, 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 blah. And then what we found out, we got people in their fucking food stamp cards coming in, like on the unemployment cards, buying $250 steaks because, and what we found out is we just cracked into making what was for the 1%, we just opened it up to the 99%. It was this very elite thing. And we made it a very approachable price because I was like, no, let's sell quantity. Let's make it accessible to people. And people hated us because we we're making it so cheap. Even my like supplier and guy, the butcher up at Niku, he's like, bro, you're killing me. You're selling this shit way too cheap. But it was, again, fucking marketing. It's like, no, I need to get these people and not intimidate them. And then we tell them how to cook it. And it just exploded like wildfire. And then like we opened another location 30 miles away because the same owner of this shitty strip mall owns like tons of them, right? And I was like, you got any other places I can just slide right into? And we slid <laughs> into like two other places all in COVID. And it was great because I'm like health department inspection is like email. I'm like, oh, this is fucking amazing. And 
they come in and they feel bad for you. And I play like the world's smallest violin. I'm like, yeah, it's just hard times right now, you know? And, <laughs> and then they take it easy on you. It's COVID. Like these inspectors are literally not going to the office, working from their cars. And there's like two of them. And so, I mean, we were doing everything legit. It's not like I was doing anything wrong. It was just so easy. So we opened that one and then we did a pop-up butcher shop at the restaurant, this giant, this is a 5,500 square foot restaurant. The room I'm in is the separate restaurant within the restaurant. I said, hey, what if I just do a pop-up butcher shop in there? We did that for like three months during the complete shutdown when it shut back down in 2020, December. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we did a pop-up and we just crushed it. And then what it did is it gave me capital now. And then the owner of this restaurant's had it. She owns the building. She's had it for 25 years. She's just like, why don't you just take it over or whatever? You know, I was like, ah, I was like, I'm going to pause the butcher shop. We'll just do pop-ups for now and I'll pay you two grand a month and I'll just do as many pop-ups as I can, meaning like three a month. And then dining was starting to come back. And I was like, all right, guys, the same way we pivoted into this motherfucking butcher shop, we're going to pivot out of it. Not out of it, meaning we're going to stop, but like we got to pivot back into food. Right. And I was like, okay. So we started selling at the beginning, our butcher shop. I'm like, dude, we're cutting all these A5 steaks. I'm buying this A5 for $50 a pound, all this trim that we have, like hundreds of pounds a week, that's still costing me $50 a pound. I'm like, all right, we need to make a burger. And so we started buying like American Wagyu cuts for a reasonable price and then we'd, and Australian. So it'd be a third American Wagyu, a third Australian, and then a third of the Japanese Wagyu. And we made patties and we're just selling those as patties, $18 a pound, two eight ounce patties. And people bought those all day long. And I was like, all right, it's time to start cooking these motherfuckers. And the original IB shop had a kitchen in it. And I was like, all right, we're making it simple. No fucking temperatures. It's going to be a smash burger, right? Yeah. Just noshy, good American fucking burger. I don't want anyone coming in. Oh, I want it medium rare. Like, and we even say no substitutions too. And we are indeed it for a while. We're like, no, we're fine dining chefs. We created this burger like a dish. Every element, the pickle is in there for a reason to, to cut through all the fat from with the acidity and the sauce also has like pickle relish in it too. To like that acidity is very important. When they say no sauce, no pickle, I'm like, great, well, enjoy that burger because that ain't mine. You're not going to like it, you know? I mean, teach their own, but you get what I mean. We still do it. But at the beginning, we had to be kind of strong with that because we were trying to create something. And then the funny thing is, is now, now you fast forward, burger exploded, lying down the street. And it's an $18 burger, but a real Wagyu burger, $18 burger, that's still, anyone that knows about Wagyu, that's a great price. The only reason we're able to do that is because it's our trend. If we had right. to buy Wagyu like that to A5 Wagyu to put in it, there's no way. And then so what ended up happening is we now burger crushed, right? And then the same owner of this restaurant, she's like, you should just take over this <laughs> restaurant and just do burger in it. And I was like, you know what? Let's fucking do it. And then I'll do pop-ups too or whatever. So it's just continue pivot. And then, so then we open this one and then they have these giant big offices in the back. I'm like, dude, that's why we studied all knock all the fucking, we did it overnight. We knocked all of them down and we sold out the dinner for the, and painted it and put in, cause I already had this table, this big, a live edge redwood table we made by hand. And now study hall is three nights a week. It's going to be five soon. And it's sold out months ahead of time. It's the progression of Wagyu. Like we originally started doing. So it's like full circle coming back, but now we have butcher burger, and tasting menu and steakhouse. So everything in Wagyu, we have literally full circle. So now the funny part is, is that we are opening so many burger spots. We're opening Hawaii next month or January, whatever it's going to end up being. But we go through so much, we make so much grind for our burgers, for the Wagyu. Now we're buying all these other online retailers trim for 
an eighth of the price. And so now we're negative waste. We were just trying to be zero waste. Now we're negative waste, you know, right. and that's where it's like, oh, fuck, we're winning now. And now we have a production kitchen just to make grind and just to make those potatoes. And then we're making pallets of them and then shipping them on the barge once a week to Hawaii because we can't have it not be perfect. And it controls our waste out of national. And now we're USDA certified. So now we ship nationwide. Our jerky goes on Amazon next week, our A5 Wagyu jerky. And that started at the very beginning on our tasting menu because they gave me these offcuts of the Japanese government. They're like, can you do something with this? We made A5 Wagyu beef jerky. And that was our first course on every dinner. And now it's going on Amazon, 700 million people. It's just crazy. And believe me, there's many more days I wanted to quit than I was happy. But still, I'm happy within my struggle and my torture because I'm never satisfied. And, and now it's like I'm stressed out more than I was when I wasn't successful. Right. But now it's once it's successful, you're like, I don't want this to go away. I can't even fucking sleep at night. It finally got here. And now I'm even more stressed about it leaving. It's just like what they say with Michelin stars such hard work to get it. Once you get it, you're like, no, now the real work starts because you got to keep that motherfucker. Right. You know? Same kind I, of thing, I, but I know I've been rambling on. Sorry. No, 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 you're good. And look, I think it's super important that people hear the whole story because to hammer, everything's a nail. And so from a marketer's perspective, even though it was a shit journey for most of the way, what you were able to do through trial and error is figure out who your market is. And that's not really the way we work. I opened a bar on Hollywood Boulevard, pretty close to where your restaurant was on Sunset. It was in the Jane's House Courtyard. It was called 504. It was a New Orleans-inspired bar. And I opened it in 2010. And when I did, there was nothing like it out there. There weren't even really dive bars in Hollywood back then because it was still all big nightclubs. And I can remember my business partner asking me, he was like, do you think this is going to work? And I was like, well, there's absolutely nothing like it out there. So either that's for a reason and we're going to fall flat on our face yeah. or I'm a genius and I figured yeah. out something that no one did. But like that was prior to the pandemic. And I think for most of the life of this industry, we've all been making what we want, right? You drop $2 million on something, two years of your life, just to see if it'll work. You chose a very different route and maybe it was out of necessity, but the reason that it worked isn't like dumb luck. It's because you tried a bunch of different things in a public forum. You found out what worked. So you yeah. built the audience and then supplied the product, which is the exact opposite of like restauranting 101, right? Yeah. And so you were able to build on the market or build on the model not because of anything other than the fact that you had the demand, you had the audience, you had captured the attention of at minimum 12,000 people, probably double, triple, quintuple that. And then they would buy whatever you put in front of them. And then another big takeaway that I got from everything you said is that you sold yourself first, built that trust, and then they would buy whatever you put in front of them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and the reason of starting a pop-up was because I came from that just pure disaster, what felt like a disaster at the time, but it was like the most expensive education. It wasn't my money, but still it might as well have been my money, the way that it feels anyway, the way that it damages your soul. But then once you repair that, then it makes you stronger than anything. But you know, I think that's a big thing though, why we rose from the ashes of COVID is because our whole journey was a pivot. It was just like, guys, we're used to getting off planes in different countries, 
never even set foot in here. And we have to make this crazy concept happen, a 12-course Wagyu tasting menu. And we're dragging fucking coolers through airports, getting stopped at customs, maybe not getting through. They're about to not let us through. And I'm like, your life flashes before your eyes there. She got like 30 grand in tickets sold. And you're just like, I don't got that money to give it back. And it's just like, even with pop-ups, people don't look at it that way. They're like, oh, you had to cancel these pop-ups because of COVID? Okay, we want our money back right now. I'm like, okay, I want to give you your money back. I said, I promise we will come to every city. Luckily, half of the people are like, whenever you come back is good. You know what I mean? And then some people are like, my fucking dad is dying of cancer. I need my $250 back. So we're like, okay, okay, whatever. But it's like, we had a kitchen. We have a whole infrastructure. We have web designers, insurance. We have everything. It's just like running a restaurant. If you had everyone prepaying, you know, if that was your model, you get what I'm saying. It's just like, that was terrifying. So we had no option but to figure it out because I was self-employed. I couldn't even get unemployment if I wanted to. I mean, I'm sure once it got more into it, I guess I could have because they were giving it to anybody. And that's just kind of not my style anyway. You know, I was like, no, we're going to fucking do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a rough time with Jamie and I too, like during it all. And the key too, I became I sober. The day that it locked down, I was like, I'm not fucking drinking a sip. I need to focus. Because... That's an easy crutch for anyone in COVID. You're like, oh, I'm just going to sit around and fucking drink wine all day from fucking Trader Joe's, two buck chuck and fucking chill. That was probably one of the best decisions I'd made because when you drink or do whatever, which I've done a lot in my life, (laughs) it's easy to say fuck it. But when you're sober within your thoughts, you don't say fuck it. You have a sense of clarity. Whether you're miserable or not, you still are clear-minded, but miserable for sure. (laughs) (laughs) What does growth look like? Oh, God. Growth is what keeps me up at night. So growth, we have, so the original Imperial Beach location, which is a 600 square foot little taco shop that now we have dine in. It used to be just a butcher shop. And we have a big outdoor counter that we had put on the side wall. We have like 25 seats, but it's a a shop, you know, it's not a restaurant. But we took the actual Mexican restaurant right next door, which is the exact footprint, knocking down that wall. We're in the process of all that right now. And then it's, so now we'll have two small kitchens. So one will be burger side and one's going to be like omakase side. And then, so you'll still walk in through the main butcher shop entrance and then you make a right. And then it's like, going to be all dark and ominous kind of like in this room here. So that'll be now a full restaurant instead of just a shop. And that's my hometown. It's always been the dream to want to do that. And that's the other cool thing is that I started this crazy shit in the most unlikely of places in my hometown. That's like Imperial Beach is, it's an old school surf town, no money. I mean, it's changing now, but. When people say Imperial Beach, they're like, oh, the Dirty Beach or whatever, because it's close to Tijuana. It's fucking awesome for me because this thing's growing so big and like the flag is in IB, which is really cool. I have crazy thoughts all the time about just like McDonald's, biggest thing in the world. And it started in San Bernardino, the mm-hmm. armpit of America. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's those, those kind of things. And I remember the day that we're in my little kitchen, me and my two chefs, and I was like, we put all the steaks on and then overnight it all sold, right? That's when we did three times. And I remember coming in, I'm like, wouldn't this be crazy if this is one of those stories that you hear about where, oh, in the pandemic, they did this thing and it exploded and now they have this huge, crazy empire. I literally said that the next day to them and we all sat there and laughed and we're like, that would be so crazy, right? And now we're like, dude, it actually fucking happened. We're one of those stories. And I'm actually feel very good being on this podcast because I don't say the full story that too often and I should fucking just tell this to myself over and over because it's 
as an entrepreneur, you're constantly only seeing the bad and the struggle. Yeah. And it's hard to, especially myself, I'm like my worst fucking critic, like a lot of people are, but I'm like terrible. So yeah, so it feels good when I take the time. It feels really good. I went from having zero employees to I have 50 and it's about to double in like months and then triple. Our national store is just crazy. It's about to completely explode. And But so when I say, oh, we sell online, like people don't understand what that means. Like I have 700 million potential customers now. You know what I mean? Like right. that's insane. They say, oh, cute. You sell online. I'm like, and we're USDA certified. Like you don't know what that means. Like you don't know how hard that is. So I was in Hawaii. We haven't opened there yet. I was in Hawaii scoping spots, walking down the beach in Waikiki with my partner for the one in Maui. And we're walking and we hear someone screaming, Swaggo, Swaggo. We're like, what the fuck? What is that? And of course, I'm wearing my hat. And obviously, like we said, I'm, I'm Grant. And it's these guys at a beach bar. We're just walking by. And they're like, oh, shit. They come running out. And they're like, dude, it's fucking Swaggo. We love your shit, man. And I'm like, where do you live? North Dakota. I'm like, so have you been to our spots? No. Have you bought anything? No, but we fucking love it. You know? That's great. And that right there was fucking marketing. It's a serious thing. like, And that is the biggest thing that chefs should fucking take from this is that it doesn't mean you're less of a chef if you do more. You're actually more of a chef. A real chef is a businessman. If you're just working in a restaurant with your head down and not looking at numbers or not doing anything else, then you're a cook. Chefs need to know business. And I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of people saying, fuck you. But you know what I mean? But it's true. So back to what you're saying. Growth is... IB's doubling right now. Poway, where that's where our national store is. When I say national, that's the shipping center, yeah, USDA. Yeah, yeah. In that same shopping center, we're putting in a Swagu burger, and then that's going to open soon as well. And then we took the two spots next to that. And once burgers open, then we pull the permits to the other side, and then we'll build out the new bathrooms, the bar, the full restaurant, and then knock down that wall. And then burger will be the kitchen. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the whole deal. And then we have Encinitas a big one that's from a ground up a million years from now, probably. And then probably most likely in January, right after the baby comes. So like January 19th due date, January 20th, I'll be maybe 21st. <laughs> I'll be in, I'll be in Hawaii or in Maui and opening those. We have a, it's like a trailer, but full, like we have two 30 foot trailers and one is a whole kitchen. Cause they put them like on the beach. And so one's a whole kitchen of 30 feet. And then the other one is parallel to it. So right across from it, that one is another 30 feet and it's like 10 feet walk-in refrigerator for dry age. And then door into the next one is four feet of freezer. And then a prep kitchen on the end of that because we're going to start shipping in Hawaii too. We'll be the only ones, by the way. I can't wait for that. And then we have a couple things in the works in Hawaii. We're going to do a bunch of other stuff in Hawaii. But then we have right behind that, we're looking at a couple places or a place in West Hollywood and a place in the arts district downtown. And then yeah. Scottsdale, Spokane, Washington. We're in conversations in Iceland, which is fucking crazy. I've never been there, but I've always wanted to be there. And Copenhagen, those same guys, they have two places there that they want to. This is the craziest part, but this goes back to it. You know, like people are like, how are you expanding so fast? You want to know how? They're fucking Instagram. Hawaii, Instagram. I get DM'd probably 40 times a day from different people around the world. Bahrain, Iraq. Japan. Oh, we're opening one in Tokyo in probably like two years. We already have 
kind of a deal with that because of the Wagyu that we, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we import now and, and we allocate whole farms now and all this kind of crazy stuff. So everything just starts to steamroll. But, but all, burger is going to go all over the United States. We're now making the Swagyu burger kit that will be shipped now. And so if you go to any location while you're checking out, would you like to send a Swagyu burger to someone anywhere in the United States? And they could just hit it and they put in the address and it gets on the check and it gets shipped out. And then it's a box that has every component in there, little Swagyu balls, burger balls, the Swagyu burger sauce, the pickles, they're each in a jar, the buns, everything for it, even the American cheese that goes on it. And then it has a QR code right when you open it up, scan the QR code. And it's, hello, this is Chef Steve Brown. I'm going to show you exactly how to make a Swagyu smash burger in the comfort of your home. So now we could send burger all over the United States. And then what we're going to do is, I probably shouldn't be telling everybody this, but we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to go. <laughs> We're going to go off of the analytics on that because it's going to alter a national store and say, Boise, Idaho, we sell 20,000 burger boxes a month. Cool. We're opening a burger there. And then so we're going to go and we're going to totally go off the sense. analytics. Yeah. It's not brain surgery. It's just one thing leads to another. And I got some really good people working for me and we, I didn't hire any like big executive people. So we're still all like, we're learning as we go. My VP of national now, he was just said, consultant at those kitchens that we used to have the little kitchen at he yeah. was a consultant because most of those people have kitchens they're doing a product in there they're like making their tortilla because they want to get it in stores so he was a consultant for people there and he also had his own kitchen to get their stuff on amazon we hired him originally to put our jerky on amazon before even the pandemic started and now he's my vp of all of national so it's pretty cool to have all of these people and in the pandemic another big thing is that we hired people that had never worked in a restaurant ever to like work in the burger shops and stuff like that because cooks have all of a sudden disappeared because they had a year and a half to get their real estate license or whatever it is. That's the biggest thing. One thing I hate about hearing is that, oh, the workforce isn't going back because of the abuse from all the owners and all this stuff. I, of course that happens, but that happens in every industry. The real thing is, is that everybody had a year and a half to look at themselves and what do you really want to do? Now you have the time because you might have became a cook because you had to pay your bills. But now everybody has this year and a half to figure out what do you really want to do? Because you've never had the chance to do that and be paid to sit at home and think about it. And again, I'm not saying that people haven't been abused. People are abused everywhere. But you get what I'm trying to say, I think. I do. And so anyway, a lot of information. Sorry, I'm a very passionate person. So I could go on for three hours. No, man. Honestly, this has been a master class on building an empire from literally the ground up. I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. As someone that has achieved massive success, born out of what was difficult failure, do you have advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer the folks listening? Yeah, just never give up is the main one. I mean, that's a basic one, but it's never give up and be creative. That's what I tell everyone. Like, all chefs were like, oh, creativity is right here on the plate. No, that's what makes you stay a cook your whole life. You need to be creative with everything. Like, I'm probably one of the most creative people that I know. And I used to get off by putting the creativity on a plate or in design or whatever, you know, the stuff that you think of creativity. But you need to be creative in business and marketing and how to create something new. But Pivot with your skill set. I didn't decide I wanted to be a stockbroker. My pivot was 
pivot with my skills that I already have, but try to reinvent it in a different way. It's all about creativity. And then of course, that's execution, but don't live in the box, of course, but like make it an educated, creative pivot, but not just the paint on the canvas. You know what I'm trying to say? But within your marketing and your delivery and how to find customers and trust your instincts, first of all, but make big moves and creative moves that might seem crazy, but but just make those well thought out and educated, crazy moves. That's what we did. And I can only speak from my experience from those successes. It's because of that. I took my same skill set. We felt like we didn't change anything. We had the same purveyors. Like we didn't have to do anything new. And we did that stupid Uber Eats thing. <laughs> that was trying something, but not using what our real skills were. And Guy, he's the one that gave me that. He was like my muse in that moment, even though he didn't tell me to go be a butcher. He just said, dude, like sell your Wagyu because you have a Wagyu following. And that was literally it. But that could be with whatever you do. And it's just constantly reinvent yourself. I reinvent myself every day. Ask everyone. They're like, this motherfucker will pivot. Everything's going well, but I'm constantly like thinking of a new pivot in a new way every day. I guess that doesn't always work, but it's just being flexible. You got to be flexible and don't be like, nope, this is the way you have to do it. That old school mentality, it puts you in that box, even though you think you're being creative because you're putting all this creativity on the plate, but take some of that creativity out and put it into different areas. That's Chef Steve Brown. For more on all of his projects, visit chefstevebrown.com. If you want to tell us your story or refer someone to be a guest on the show, email us at booking at fullcomp.media. To hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel, and you've been listening to Full Comp.